0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 246th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that is looking forward to a brighter, more productive, and more caring 2021 with all of you beautiful people. But for the meantime, please wear a mask. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at mdgcritic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, aka at Bumpen on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Good evening, everybody, uh, good evening, James, glad to be here. I guess a heads up at the top of the show, internets are a little funky tonight, but I think uh, hopefully we should be okay. Um, Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG Finance community. Sign up today, mtgprice.com, to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby.
0: MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what do we have on the agenda this week?
1: Well, this week uh, we're going to start with segment one, our top MTGO metagame week interview. Uh, Segment two, we'll talk about some top paper movers with the top MTGO movers just behind segment three, our paper cards to watch some stuff that James and I have our eye on for the future segment four: collector's corner. We'll get into great magic, the gathering holiday gifts. And if you are a long time Travis article reader, <laughs> so I'm speaking to probably one of you, uh, I wrote, wrote an article about this a long time ago and, uh, Finally, segment five, our topic of the week, we will look at some early trends in Commander Legends and what are we seeing so far, where might that go, what might change. Uh, so we'll jump in here at the top of MTGO metagame Week can review with our Pioneer Challenge and it looks like Oops All Spells is uh, back on the menu.
0: Yeah, we've got Oops All Spells in first place in this Pioneer Challenge using the insane amount of DFC flip lands. I don't know if it's 32 or <laughs> something in that deck. Um, this deck is what didn't show up in the top eight last week, but has been more or less a persistent, uh, competitor in the top eights in both modern and pioneer since the new Zenikar rising cards debuted. And, uh, I have a feeling this one's not going anywhere.
1: No, I mean, at the very least, it seems like it's going to be here until, well, for a little while, at least until either the meta shifts or, uh. Wizards changes something, but it's looking pretty solid here. I'll
0: tell you, this second deck in the list uh, has, we've seen iterations of it uh, frequently as well. This is the Jeskai Yorion Planeswalker Control, 80 cards of Jeskai Madness. And typically they're running some combination of Planeswalkers. In this case, it was Gideon of the Trials, Narset, Parter of Vales, and uh, Thraferi. And then we have three Agent of Treachery, the Supreme Verdicts and Transmogrifies that I've been on about for a few weeks. Uh, four Ethergust in the main. That's interesting. Um, looks like you're loaded for Omnath Uro, um, since that's normally a sideboard card. Ethergust is one in a blue instant. Choose target spell or permanent that's red or green. Its owner puts it on the top or bottom of their library. Um, gives you a little bit of time in this control shell. Chain to the Rocks, Fires of Invention, Omen of the Sea, Shark Typhoon, and the Birth of Miletus. Uh, and then I guess the most notable card I, cards I saw in here that I haven't seen before was Two Valakut Awakening. That's the uh, Demi Wheel uh, of Fortune from uh, Zendikar Rising. Flip land itself, and on the instant side, put any number of cards from your hand on the bottom of your library, then draw that many cards plus one.
1: Yeah, I like Velikat Awakening. I suspect we will see uh, more of this in the future as some of these decks shake out, because even though it's a little pricey um, for what you'd want, you know, one, this card would be busted. Uh, and two, it would be a very good. Two, it would be a very solid rate without the land on the other side. I think. So three is an instant speed, a little on the pricey side, but the the flip being you know, a land on the other side seems so good. Um, I suspect a lot of combo style decks will like this going forward, um, and there's probably going to be an opportunity somewhere. I don't know if it's late in December, maybe uh, to look for foil full arts here. I think might be the other a good thing that up. jumped out
0: at me is that this deck is now running four Ketria Trium and four Rogren Trium, so the eight full triumphs uh, in its 32 land mix, um, and that led me to taking a look at how Rogrin was doing, and it will be mentioned later in the cast under cards to watch. Moving right along, we have a fairly predictable rest of the top eight: uh, third and fourth, black white auras; Five, uh, fifth place is four color Omnath Uro. Black White Auras again in 6th, and then two variants of the Mono Green builds in 7th and 8th. Probably the most notable one being the uh, one without the 12 Planeswalkers in 7th place that was running 2 times Turn Timber Symbiosis and 3 times The Great Henge. Uh, one of those cards has already made a people a bunch of money, and Turn Timber Symbiosis is nice and cheap now, and is looks poised uh, to set up a similar situation within the year.
1: Uh yeah, I feel like I need to buy some of these. I know we've
0: talked about them before, and I don't have any, but I feel like I they're should. They're under twenty bucks, and in fact, any calls we made on Zeneca Rising early on flagging cards, their entry points have only gotten better. Like we were definitely early on a few things, as would be normal. Um, Scourge of the Skyclaves, I said confidently that even if it was at when it was at forty dollars a few weeks back that it going 40 to 80 was more or less a lock, given that it seemed to be set up more or less permanently in various versions of Death Shadow builds and modern, and that the only question remaining was, you know, when will people get back to playing modern? Um, there has been some pretty decent scientific news on the COVID front lately. Um, uh, vaccinations that look like they are testing well in trials. And I did see a interesting article in the New York Times today where they were talking about how um, protections against COVID may last longer than previously anticipated and may, in fact, last years. Obviously, we don't have years worth of testing data yet, but there are some early indications. Um, all of that adds up to me thinking that you know probably last half of 2021 is where things are going to start to get back to normal. And... I don't know how much lower things like Scourge of the Sky, Claves, foil extended arts can get, but you can currently get them in the $18 to $20 range, and that seems very, very tasty.
1: I uh, have to agree with you.
0: So moving on over to the Modern Champs qualifier that was run on November 16th. That was uh, Monday. Uh, Amulet Titan was again in first. This has been constant in the top eights. I don't know if we've had a week in Modern in the last seven or eight weeks where... Some version of Amulet Titan was not present. And you want to keep your eye on things like Dryad of the Elysian Groves that's already taken off. Primeval Titans look like they have room to drain. Turn Timber Symbiosis four times in that in that build that finished first. So even more t- Turn Timber in a variety of different shells. You got Monogreen Planeswalkers and Pioneer running it. You got the Oopsol Spells winning the Pioneer Challenge running it. And Amulet Titan and modern running it as a four of plus C sees, ton- sees tons of EDH play. Gotta say, those mythic flip lands look like just surefire bets. <laughs> they,
1: uh-huh. <laughs> they just seem like they're solid across the board, both formats. Almost
0: too solid. Almost. I mean, thankfully, we're not seeing any supreme dominance in any of these formats these formats look healthy there are cards in these formats that are annoying i think the argument can be made that those lands might be slightly too good um they're either design genius or they're broken and we'll see over time whether you know when the top pros turn their attention back to these formats um and have reason to be to be attempting to evolve the meta it will be i will be curious to see where things go but at present, things like Omnath that are showing up all over the place, it's not breaking the format. It's just an instant stable. Now, the second deck in the Modern Champs qualifier is pretty spicy. Mono-white taxes slash combo. It's got elements we've seen in a bunch of other iterations of this, but this particular build is a little different. This... Uh, Version of Mono White is four Oriok Champion, four Giver of Runes, two Grand Abolisher. You have the Heliod, Suncrowned Walking Ballista combo, four of each of those. Four Luminarch Aspirant, that's the card out of Zendikar Rising uh, that is showing up in more places than you might imagine it would. One Ranger of Eos and four Ranger Captain of Eos to go get Giver of Runes. Uh, And four Skyclave Apparition, a card that seems to have breathed new life into White across multiple formats
1: that card is doing work yeah has been doing a lot of work work. the luminic luminarch aspirant here is is fun
0: gets to you get to put counters for free on your walking ballista Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: normally cast costs you four mana this thing does it for free can't be bad so even if you don't have the heliod to combo off you can just start building a ballista that's hard to hard to deal with
1: Yeah. I'm trying to see if there's something clever there. Looks like it just might just make the combo a little bit cheaper. Because if you have... If you already have Heliod in play, basically. If you have Heliod and... Sky, Heliod and... Luminarch Aspirant in play. You can... It's cheaper to get going. You can cast the Walking Ballista immediate. Go to... Cast the Walking Ballista, go give it lifelink with heliod go to combat put the counter on it and then go
0: off the oriok champions shrug off a lot of the kill that's getting played right now uh and can also block omnath since omnath's red Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah lots of potential specs in that mono white deck uh certainly a, a shell that's worth keeping an eye on since classically in modern this has not been a viable a viable uh, archetype. Uh, Death and Taxes has always done much better in Legacy than it does in Modern. Um, But that seems to be shifting with the new cards.
1: Yeah, this doesn't seem like it's really getting a lot out of being basically mono-white. You get the Magus of the Moon. It's not mono-white because they have some uh, Magus of the Moons in the sideboard. But that seems... I question whether this is worth playing as mono white, like two colors is so easy. And what do you modern. think you'd be adding here? I'm not sure. I mean, black is the obvious answer just because it's usually in this mix.
0: Well, the other variant we see is that we've seen a lot of green, white creature combo. So arguably this is subtracting, you know, devoted Druid uh, plus Vizier remedies. We've seen in top eight lists that we've reviewed in the last two months or so, the ones that have walking ballista plus heliod plus vizier of remedies plus devoted druid and are just going for maximum combo potential this one is much more tack like the taxes side of death and taxes plus one particular combo
1: mm-hmm. yeah i don't know I don't, I don't know claim to know what the right answer would be uh i it just seems like uh the second color is basically free and in this, I wouldn't consider this to have a second color because it's the three magus and the moon and the
0: sideboard is not. Yeah, you get you're getting that off of the sunbaked canyons and one mountain basically and yeah. arid mesa to search up what you need. Yeah. All right, so third place uh, is four-color Omnath. Fourth place, Mardu Shadow. Uh, blue, black, control in fifth. That's a shell you don't see all that often in Modern. This is three Jace the Mind Sculptor, four Narset parter of Veils, two Snapcaster Mage, two Bloodchief's Thirst, one of the new kill spells out of Zendikar Rising, two Inquisition of Kozlek and two Thoughtseize, and then uh, a bunch of pile of blue and black control cards uh, to cap things off. Four Archmage's Charm, two Cling to Dust in the main, Three cryptic command, four fatal push, four force of negation, two mana leak, and one remand, with twenty-five lands.
1: Yeah, I don't buy the blue-black is correct in modern. It's basically, I don't remember the last time a blue-black deck was better than the alternatives. It's possible that, like, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't. I'm not sure what. They got recently that would suddenly make it worth it? Blood Chief's Thirst and Cling to Dust? Is that what the deck was missing? I don't know. I have trouble. I mean,
0: normally that. we would expect it to be blue white if it's anything in this format. I mean, Pioneers seem set up for Jeskai control to be a thing for a while, um, but in modern, we've seen blue white control more often than blue black. It looks like they probably want that Cling to Dust in the main, uh, and that Fatal Push and Blood Chief's Thirst uh, both have options to. Uh, pay a little bit more mana, or have a situation where something's gone to the graveyard, and be able to get bigger targets. So that does let them push beyond just the path to exile you would have in blue white. And it can also kill planeswalkers in the cha- in the uh, case of Bloodchief's Thirst, which is kind of handy.
1: Right, it's the uh, it's like is the white not worth it? Is the question? They're basically giving um, up three and, and, and
0: five mana to fairy and supreme verdict to move out of it. And path yeah, and sideboard guards. Yeah. You know.
1: Um. All right. Yeah. So sixth place, we'll
0: uh, red prowess. Seventh, Mardu shadow, and another four color Omnath in eighth. Relatively settled, settled formats uh, over the last few weeks, but there is still innovation rising to the top here and there
1: settled formats but still lots of fun decks yep. to try out no shortage of options it's a shame that these formats are hitting well nobody can play them in
0: the real oh, world oh yeah I, i'm <laughs> it's gonna be real sad if something like a bunch of brokenness in call time or say if it goes on for a long time before we can play in paper modern horizons 2 re like
1: i was gonna say isn't modern horizons
0: yeah. two in the summer <laughs> so my, mh2 could easily hit and just invalidate a ton of this action or you know pivot the whole format into other other areas you know people are gonna have to run these like grassroots clubs to try out these missing formats that they never got to play
1: yeah you're basically gonna end up with if people are back at card stores by the time matter modern, modern horizons 2 comes uh which seems unlikely like they'll get out for like a week or two and then modern horizons 2 will hit and i'll be like oh well so much for those cool formats that uh only existed online <laughs> yep and now we're just playing with the new run in six it costs one mana
0: <laughs> one in six
1: <laughs> yep one in there there you go one in, one in six they have not made a one mana planeswalker they, yet, instead
0: really. of it being run in six they should just make it Just make it six, because Ren and six was two entities combined, and then make it cost one mana, and then you can call it one and six. That's glorious.
1: They'll call it Ren and Ren, Ren and one, and it'll cost one mana, and they'll make up their own uh, allusion to the Groot storyline and have had the tree die and be reborn as a baby tree. (laughs) Oh my god, how long is it going to be before they cash in on that stupid baby Yoda?
0: Well... They, they do do licensed products for Disney, so it's not impossible, but it's pretty hard to get projects approved.
1: Well, I don't mean that like they're gonna have the actual Baby Yoda, but like, will Innistrad have? Or some... oh, like a lone
0: wolf and cub sub theme?
1: Yeah, but like specifically with this like stupidly cute nonsense. Right, like the They seem to always be cranked cranked to eleven. Type they always thing. seem to be
0: two or three years behind the zeitgeist on that stuff, so I could easily see twenty twenty three we get a set that centers around a planeswalker that's protecting a child. <laughs> just as yeah. the Mandalorians or, go off the air.
1: <laughs> yeah, but just I, I'm I'm am i I'm reluctantly gonna keep an eye out for some card or character that just has this like ultra cute little Huge eyes, tiny, adorable. Oh, look at this! Genocidal,
0: uh, by the way. I don't know if you caught the latest episode or been watching the show, but
1: uh, doesn't that seem? Isn't that a spoiler? There.
0: Uh, okay, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I, I mean, it's I, all. It's I all do all over not the internet, watch it.
1: So. <laughs> I I hate that character. I really truly dislike Baby Yoda. Uh, it just feels so produced. So, like, so intentionally emotionally manipulative that it f- bugs me. And The Mandalorian is actually based on this old Japanese um, I don't know if they were movies, I presume they were movies. It might have been old Japanese TV shows about a traveling samurai and his it's called child. Lone Wolf and Cub. And it was, a, it's a manga. Yeah, was that the yeah, actual name of manga. it? Okay, well, was that the when was that there the might be a version look up, a manga? There's
0: some like old Kurosawa film or something that kicked that all off.
1: Okay. I mean, I don't claim to be an expert. I just know that that's what it reference, you know, that's essentially what the Mandalorian references or is built off of is, is that media. But like as a human, as a pair of humans, it just, it felt it would feel more appropriate, but baby Yoda is just like, let's take every psychological, every factor that your brain tells you something is cute and just make it so hard. Uh, and it's like, that's a shame. Cause it just feels so manufactured. Cause like they show the concept art at the end of the Mandalorian Um, you know, with the theme song and they're kind of showing you those pieces of artwork. And I'm like, okay, this show would be really cool. If you gave me more of the vibe I'm getting from the end credits than what I'm getting when I actually
0: watch it. I feel, I hear what you're saying because there's the concept artists really get it. And there are some really good story beats. And I've seen some stuff in this series that I've always wanted from star Wars, or I've wanted more of from star Wars product that has been absent mm-hmm. that I'm appreciating. But yeah, there is there's, a, there's a, there is also a very manufactured feel to the whole thing. Um, L- Lone Wolf and yeah. Cubs from 1970 was manga. They also made movies, etc.
1: Okay. I didn't think that was a real name because I think there's a Bob's Burger episode. There is a Bob's Burger episode where they talk about it. It's like the whole theme of the episode. And I thought they called it Lone Wolf and Cubs, so I didn't think that was a real name. I was like, oh, that's just... The cartoon name for it um yeah that's real yeah i know i have not watched though all of i have not watched the show really i just like catch it when i my wife's watching and i walk through the room but like i don't know i walked into the room at one point and watched about 30 seconds of it and i'm like okay she paused it i'm like the next four things are gonna happen these are what are going to occur and i called it beat for beat, and i was like yeah okay this is so come on this is lazy this is just lazy
0: I can see that. There's some very, some really cool, creative stuff in that show. There are also some very <laughs> lazy, leaning on the brand things, and I think that they have they have trouble with mega brands like Star Wars in that sense. I mean, Pokemon's Pokemon's no better. Pokemon's twenty years of the same shit, day after day after day. Yeah. you can justify sure. that one to a greater extent because it is squarely aimed at children. But you always have these odd conflicts that come. Uh, that develop in those cultures and subcultures when people grow up, they go through their nostalgia and they want it to be as cool as they remember it. And Mm -hmm. say you go back and watch 1980s Transformers or whatever. And you're like, there is some really cool stuff here, but it's also making no sense whatsoever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then you want, and then you want the version that's that, that matches how you felt about it and then the brand has to figure out how to you know split off you know are we going to get a ash grown up pokemon movie at some point
1: Mhm yeah i i mean i don't blame pokemon for it because like it was it's always was and always continues to be like so primarily a children's media that like that's fine right like that's that, that that's that's clearly where that lives but the that's not what the mandalorian is mandalorian is for adults so give me you know, I don't I don't feel like you have to sell it to me in the way that they're doing. I mean, just imagine did you play Knights of the Old Republic? The old PC yeah, RPG. Play, I, think. I guess it was on Xbox too. Okay, so there was a essentially uh a very macabre assassin droid in that game that went by HK forty seven. And like do you, do you saw Rogue yep. Squadron, right? And there I don't remember his name, but that big black you mean android. Rogue One?
0: Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: What did I say? Mm-hmm. Rogue Squadron. That's the game that just came out. Rogue One. What is that Black Android Uh name?
0: I don't know off the top of my head, but I, I know who you're talking is that, about. Is that IG-88? No, ig G- 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 the original bounty hunter from the old series.
1: Okay. In any case, uh, the, the, it was sort of that personality, but just even oh. more so. And like dripping with contempt for humans. Yeah,
0: K- K2SO. Uh, oh. Uh,
1: huh. Really? I didn't even... Okay. Okay. Uh, it would but he was re- he was a fan favorite in that game and people loved this like really smart ass robot and uh, it was it, at the time the trope was kind of novel uh, much more so than it is today. but I'm just thinking like the Mandalorian instead of using this stupid baby Yoda that's just a pair of eyeballs connected to your brainstem, trigger your emotions like the mandalorian palling around with a super smart ass android that provides like great comic relief and gets him into trouble like that would be so much more fun to watch i don't know this has nothing to do with anything but i complain about this to anyone that will listen and it just so turns out i have a tiny little soapbox i get to yell well there's a front. boba
0: fett show that apparently is in the works so maybe they'll go that way that on that one
1: uh, hmm. all right
0: so moving right along to top paper movers segment two uh top of the order we got dig through time, the secret layer version. these are foils from the uh, doggy series release that we mm-hmm. knew would probably do pretty well. And sure enough these dig through times are down to two listings on TCG but it's both vendors that went pretty deep. So one's got 26 copies at 1450 the other one's got 10 copies at 2875 and once those are gone, presumably these will be pretty hard to come by
1: they just buy every other copy of a PCG player?
0: But I, I would guess, you know, some people buy as many secret layers as they can get their hands on if they think the math works. Yeah.
1: And, you know, going by our lesson of uh, whatchamacallit, the ones that nobody cares or thinks about are apparently the best <laughs> yeah. ones to go for. <laughs>
0: Um, all right so psychic (coughs) vortex was a reserve list card we flagged last week as making a move it's slid up even further which just means a handful more copies sold on tcg player from 13 to 21 in theory uh winding canyons is also a weatherlight reserve list card this one is more useful in edh generally speaking 24 to 40 any playable edh reserve list timing to buy was yesterday so no big surprise Got Soul Flayers out of Fate Reforged. Uh, it's caught a reprint, but not in foil. Uh, foils going from 4 to $8. Marble Diamond 7th foils, 23 to 48. This fits with my theory about how reprints of cards that are good uh, tend to draw attention to scarce original foils. And uh, Marble Diamond 7th foils are not the original printing of the card, but it is the original foil printing of the card.
1: It is. Clearly, the coolest version yep. of the card. I think uh, indisputably. Yeah. Because it's seventh edition and deal with it. Yeah, nerds. so it's twenty three to forty eight um, on those
0: for one hundred percent gains. Uh, Magus of the Vineyard. This is your fault. You called this last week to do this. Yeah. Foil seven fifteen. Now, Grant, fair enough. There, there wasn't that many copies lying around, but yeah, seven fifteen. Travis's pick last week.
1: And I own zero suckers. <laughs> You're
0: such a shill.
1: Uh, yeah. Tooth and nail, huh? At Modern Masters? 35. If to you'd 80. asked
0: me, I would have off the cuff guessed there was more printings than this. But this card's only ever been printed in Mirrodin, which was fifteen years ago. And then in Modern Masters, which was the lowest print run of any premium product set to date. 30 35 to 80 is just there are no copies left. And this card's real good. Uh Actually, I actually have to think twice about is this banned in Commander? This card seems really crazy. Nope.
1: Uh, it is, and it is not banned. It's in. It's only in seven thousand decks, Too surprisingly. Little, really. Less than you'd expect. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. Um, it's busted. So you do the old version of this. Uh, like the the reason you play Tooth and Nails, you just go get uh Triskelion and. Uh, let's see. I think the combo that I saw the most was. Micaeus the unhallowed and like triskelion would be the one you'd go and get but at this point there are a zillion two card combos you can go get with tooth and Nell that just win you the game in edh uh so it's not particularly fun you just cast it for nine mana, and if your opponents don't have removal they just lose on the spot
0: and as you said plenty of ways for that to happen
1: but yeah, I like this card because uh, it was cool, and I owned it. And then I decided to go buy antiquities Triskelions for like twenty bucks a long time ago, and they're not twenty dollars anymore. Could
0: definitely see tooth and nail showing up in modern Horizons too. Uh, yeah, I yeah. I guess it's been long I don't, enough. The, the, the only the only counter to that is I can't name a deck that's that would run it. <laughs> But yeah, that that is a place they could would, shove it. I would
1: have to go back and look at Modern Horizons One more closely to see if they included anything that was pretty clearly a EDH. I, I only card. throw up the
0: flag because I don't believe that there are truly any products anymore, even ones that are called Modern Horizons, that are that will ignore EDH. In my in my mo, in Modern Horizons Whoa, One, we saw plenty of EDH bait that was. In the set, but it was definitely not intended for modern. I mean, we have the first sliver there. I haven't seen any first sliver decks in modern lately. No, I mean, ostensibly, they
1: could say slivers. I mean, slivers had seen play in modern into some modicum of success as well. So, printing the first sliver there is obviously a big nod to EDH, but it's, you know, they can make the claim that it's for, uh, Modern as well. Tooth and Nail, like, mm, yeah. no, like, you're not going to tell me that this is for modern, right? Like, we are aware that that's not a modern card. I'm looking through the top Modern Horizons cards by price right now. Uh, Morphon, questionable. That's that's not modern either. No, but the thing is, is Morphon lets you play is the tribal Lord for everything that doesn't have a tribe. So again, it's, it's, to me, that's like, um, for sliver clearly leans harder EDH, but like you can make a, some, a decent claim that it is, there will be people more casual in nature who will want to play this in modern, but tooth and nail again, like I could not tell you the last time I heard of somebody casting that card in that format.
0: All right, fair enough. Tide of War uh, foils out of Champions of Kamigawa, 6-16. That's a coin flippy card that affects combat for EDH, so Krark probably driving that. Then you have Jeska, Thrice Reborn um, from Commander Legends. In theory, foils, regular foils. I'm not talking about the etched foils, just the regular pack foils. 14-40. to There's not a high... There isn't a lot of commander legends inventory in the market right now because release date is this coming weekend uh today's tuesday night uh their release date will be on friday and a lot of allocations got slashed up front and wave two is coming but it's not going to be that big so you know there might be vendors that are leaning in hard on some of the better cards uh assuming that even if they get undercut they can buy back up the ramp and end up with a nice pile of inventory that will sell well in the future Things remain to be seen. We're, we're definitely having trouble getting our hands on as much Commander Legends uh, collector booster boxes for uh, Pro Trader waves as we would normally have. Um, we've done a pretty solid volume, but by this point, I would have, would have expected to us have done three or four waves of it at like twelve hundred a case would be our normal target. And uh, there just isn't that much of it lying around. And some of the vendors that have did get their allocations can sell it in the open market for two fifty or two sixty. So why sell it to us?
1: I wonder if they will, uh, how long they'll drag out the printing for, I wonder how long the initial contracts were to have this at the printers and if they will end
0: up extending it. It's such, it will be such a weird set to have hyped up for a year in advance and then to under deliver heavily on inventory. (laughs) Like if those commander, if those CBs never got below 250, that would just be like astonishing. So because it will represent that supply has not met demand. No matter how yeah. good your CB is, and keep in mind that the Zendikar Rising CBs are excellent um, and make sense long-term to, you know, get back up into $250 plus range, even though the rumor is that they printed 25 or 30% more of them than they normally do because they expected the Expeditions to drive tons of hype. Um, you know, those are... We were getting those for eleven sixteen dollars uh, a case this week, so that's well below 200 and... There seems to be plenty of those lying around. So I guess the, the, the question is, will the same thing happen to Commander Legends or not? Are we going to get these cheaper a little further down the road? And if so, will there be will it be plentiful or will it be a brief blip on the radar like when they released uh, Eternal Masters for the second time several years back and uh, people decried it and then three months later all the cards have rebounded again?
1: People are going to be pretty pissy if... Six months, nine months down the road, uh, Commander Legends, which was supposed to be essentially a print-to-demand set or a wide release, uh, ends up dry, and there are no future releases on the horizon for it because the Wizard doesn't want it infringing on their 2021 slate of products. And all of these Commander cards that were supposed to be plentiful and cheap for people to get early on, just never got there. And now you suddenly have a entire set of commanders, essentially commander staples <laughs> that are all really expensive because the print run was, you know, a quarter of what it was supposed to be.
0: It's entirely possible. Distributors are holding back some product too. I don't have any definitive information on that, but I've heard people talking about it um, because they, sometimes they, a distrib- people think, Oh, the distributor gets it, they sell it. But if they sense that there's going to be a supply issue and they think the product's hot, if it's been selling well through to retail they may well choose to hold 10 20 30 percent of it back on the assumption that they'll get more for it later Mm. Mm. i was not aware the distributors did that They occasionally do uh profane memento out of m15 foils from 3 to 13 i'm assuming that this is on the back of its uh utility index like anewon which is one of the top commander builds right now and Vito. Where it's complementary because you gain gain life when creatures hit graveyards and then that sets off various triggers.
1: Yeah, see that makes sense. If that's a bunch of people are buying it, it's only got the one foil printing from M fifteen, so it's six years old. It's an uncommon, but and then in
0: theory. The top gainer this week is Jessica's Will out of Commander Legends, uh, non-foil version going from $2 to $10. I think that's a fictional number. Um, going to be very hard-pressed for even good EDH-specific rares out of this set to hold 10 bucks, given all the other value that's in these boxes. So Especially I think that's one. a statistical anomaly, given that we just don't have supply hitting. Much more relevant to check what the price of that card is Sunday afternoon after some more supply hits TCG.
1: And I I want to point out, uh, because I encountered this, and I want to clarify for our listeners, that some of the cards you may go looking for, you might not be able to find supply of them, um, specifically foils. And the reason for that is that the cards that showed up in the decks were not in foil. So a per yeah the commander deck so a a, the example that i encountered and was confused by was brass square it's an uncommon three mana creature that moves equipment around and i was like oh this just got reprinted let's see how what the inventory for foils looks like and there aren't any and i was trying to figure out what that is but uh just so that you're aware if you go looking for foils of these cards and there just aren't any it's probably not because there's no supplies low supplies probably because there's actual zero um and the trick is to look at the collector's number uh, because they are numbered above the, whatever, 365 that are in the set. So Brass Squires 460. And if you follow Ben Blyweiss on Twitter, you remember he tweeted a while ago um, showing a version, I don't remember what card it was, but he, it was the card, the version of the card that shows up in the normal set. So the set number was like 120 out of 365. But then the same card also showed up in the decks with a, with a, a, higher collector number like 400 and so you put them side by side and the only difference anywhere on the card is the collector's number uh and he was not pleased about that because it's going to make organizing a pain in the ass that makes, but, even, uh, makes inventory
0: management that, a serious hassle yeah yeah so i just want to
1: throw that out there for you guys don't be surprised if you find cards in foil that are not available period look for that collector's number
0: Alright, so moving right along to the top uh, MTGO movers of the week. Uh, I don't think Double Masters was ever on Magic Online, right? Is there a Double Masters Magic Online edition?
1: You are sure asking the wrong guy. I'm supposed to ask you that question.
0: Uh, No, I guess it was. But I think... I didn't play it, but I think it was there. Um, bottom line is that the Urza's Power Plant uh, box topper versions, Council's Judgment, box topper, Expedition Map, box topper, all showing movement this week because they were not in the draft packs as far as I know. They were uh, only available through treasure chests. And so strong art promos that are treasure chest only will tend, especially if their treasure chest drop rate uh, alters and, and is and is dropped to a lower value um, will tend to climb. So you got the power plant, and the other Urza's lands going from like a buck fifty to five bucks, two hundred percent plus gains. Council's Judgment, buck fifty to three bucks. Uh, Expedition maps from five to ten. Keep in mind, lots of Tron players would be happy to upgrade those, and uh, also a useful card in commander. Then Nissa Who Shakes the World and Voracious Hydra rounding out the top movers on Magic Online. Uh, Nissa 119 to 242, and Hydra 116 to 234. Greenin has been a force and pioneer for months. Okay. Moving on to the paper cards to watch. Uh, I've got a pretty solid slate here for everybody this week. I was surprised to see we hadn't already put this on a list, uh, but I guess we were waiting for the price to fall, and here we are. Uh, Omnath, Locus of Creation, Showcase foils. Give it a 12-month horizon with a confidence level of 9. The card is everywhere in EDH, Pioneer, Modern. Biggest risk is that it might catch another ban, Pioneer being the most likely place for that to happen, but it doesn't seem like it's a problem there at, at this point. Um, buy price currently is down to about 23 bucks, but supply is not that deep. Um, Certainly not deep enough to scare me off. So I don't think you need to dive in head first on this. There's, It's entirely possible given that we're heading into the holiday season and the post-holiday uh, consumer credit crunch and the U.S. government has not issued a fresh stimulus package, etc. There are reasons to believe that uh, you know prices are going to drop. There are Black Friday sales on the horizon. So I know I want to own these. I'm comfortable getting them at 23, which is what I can buy them at on TCG today, but if you want to be a little greedier or a little more frugal, depending on how you want to look at it, and wait to try to you know catch these 18 to 22 somewhere, that's entirely reasonable. All I can tell you is Omnath looks like a super staple, and I could see the Showcase foils, which is the best version of the card, hitting you know, 45, 50, 60 bucks within a year pretty easily. I mean,
1: he's made it clear that he's going to be a staple in Pioneer, Modern, pretty popular in EDH. You know, the four-color is not ideal, but he'll still show up in many, many places. Uh, So I'm on board with this as a pick. Um, In the abstract, I think that, like you said, the supply is on the deeper side um, for the foil showcases. Uh, Looks like 76 vendors and... Uh, a lot of those have more than one copy, but but that's fine. I mean, you know, for people who have been doing this a while, uh, not every card you buy to speculate on has to have eight copies left. Um, you know, if you think you're buying at the floor, very close to the floor, it's totally fine to go in with, with a supply like this and then just know that you're going to be waiting it out a little bit. And I don't doubt that this will move for sure over time. So it's the type of card that I think you're pretty safe to get in on. You know, if you end up with some spare spare store credit or whatever, you can grab them for a reasonable price and just hang on to them for a while. Uh, Definitely a fine way to go. And the thing
0: about Omnath is, it's not played as a one or a two of ever. It's always a four of, other than an EDH. And in EDH, it can be both in the 99 and four and five color decks and be the commander. So, and it's a a cool casual card. It's the kind of card, it's a big, crazy enough monster that Timmy's will play it too. So. Uh, it just seems like a, a obvious, obvious pick that you're just trying to figure out where the low is.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, like, even if it slips a couple dollars, like, who cares? If, you know, if it drops to 19, that's fine. Because um, that's not where you were trying to buy it anyways. Or uh, I should say, sorry, got several wires in my brain crossed there. Even if it slips down to 19, that's fine. You didn't, like, lose any money there. Um, like you just hang out and it'll take a little bit longer to get to 45 than you thought.
0: In part, these kind of decisions depend on how good your uh, your setup is for staying on top of cards you're interested in. If you have your own watch list, which is something I encourage people to do, and we certainly look forward to providing via the new version of mggprice.com when we finally launch it. Um, you know, a watch list is very handy because if you set it up to automatic, provide automatic updates of pr- key pricing you're looking for, then you could you know be getting notification triggers that just tell you this just dropped. there are copies below 20 and then you can pick them off. Um, but if you're the kind of person that only looks at this stuff once a month or something, Omnath is the kind of card where you could wake up one morning and find out that vendors decided to scoop 80 copies off TCG and ship them to Japan and your opportunity just went up $6 instead of down $2.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah. I think if you're confident in a card, um, which is a good which I don't think there's any reason not to be with something like Omnath, you don't have to feel bad about buying in when is pretty good. So the
0: next one's a win for me, but you're you're saying we're not done here.
1: Yeah, so uh I mean this is not news to us, but a lot of Marie's call is a pretty popular card. The reason it popped up on my radar is I was looking through some of the um new commander legends stuff and i think it was the sakashima page this was like one of the most popular cards it wasn't in commander legends and um i don't know if that's exactly what it was because i was doing this two hours ago and poking around but it caught my attention so i went and looked it up uh and you had called this back in episode 219 which was back in like may march or to May, go,
0: to go five to ten dollars which we yeah, had to go now f- beyond
1: Yep, you were five to 10, and right now you will pay $11 for them. So if you bought in when James told you to, you already doubled up, but I'm here to tell you, I think you should keep holding. Um, There are about eight copies of this below $15 uh, and across like six vendors, and there's only a total of 21 vendors across, um, which includes some foreign language stuff as well. There's another printing of this. It is, if you, hold on, I have to look it up. It's some weird printing. It was oh, Masters Twenty Five. This was in Masters Twenty Five as well. That's what it was. But there's like six of these, and uh, they are the lowest price is twenty dollars. And there are
0: neither of sorry. neither of the reprints in the last decade are in standard sets. Yeah, and that is a recipe for a heavily played foil that has EDH play and has seen a resurgence in Modern over the last year, especially in those green-white co- combo creature decks that we've been talking about in top eights uh, fairly frequently uh, but in the last six months or so.
1: I wanted to tell you that uh, your notes back when you talked about this said that it was in like ten or 11,000 decks and EDH right now shows 22,000.
0: Yeah, I had it at 16,000 EDH rec. Oh, 16,000. That's what it was. Yeah.
1: So I don't now. There might have to do, might have something to do with the way EDH rec changed their reporting. For sure, that could be part of it, but worth pointing out. Um, so yeah, I think if you bought them before you were right. I mean, obviously, if you bought them when James told you last time, we already know that was right, but I think there's still plenty of meat on the bone. I think you could see these at 20 to $25 without too much trouble.
0: Also worth flagging that I for sure own some of these. I've sold some along the way, but still own some. So let's get that conflict out on the table since this is exactly the kind of pick that people like to point fingers at us for where we recommend it lower, we buy some, then we're trying to sell them and people think that we're mentioning it again so that they will sell. <laughs> I get it. I know I know why you, you end up in that headspace, folks, but you just need to look at the fundamentals here. This is a great card that I don't think has any chance of a reprint. in in 2021 based on the product slate we have seen so far it is not impossible for it to show up in modern horizons 2 but i don't think they have that many slots available especially for cards they just gave us the last time within two Mm -hmm. years Mm -hmm. and gave us an m25 so this one could get left alone for a while and the other thing is does this did this get a mystery booster non-foil reprint
1: Uh, no, I don't believe so. Uh, no. It
0: easily could do or show up in, uh, the list or whatever it's called, um, that started with Zendikar Rising. And keep in mind that from Wizards' perspective, that's them covering their bases. They are primarily focused on making sure that people have access to the basic versions of cards. Printing the enemy fetches three times within this year to, like, hit whack that mold back into its hole squarely it does not mean that they're going to give you super fancy versions of things or make sure you can get foils of important modern cards on a timely basis that that's going to be a second or tertiary secondary or tertiary priority for them for sure
1: mm-hmm. yeah for sure
0: all right so my next pick is a follow-up to previous pick two previous picks we've made One where I called out the showcase triumphs in non-foil just as a general class in the early summer. And then later in the summer, you called, I believe, Ketria and Zagoth as the most played in uh, versions. At the time, There was Ketria uh, triumphs were making the earliest inroads into modern, and uh, Ketria and Zagoth were also showing the biggest numbers on EDH rec. So... Those were good picks from you, but now I'm looking at Rogrin Triome, which we saw show up in that modern... Uh, sorry, the the Jeskai Yorian Control list, if they move to using four of the Rogrins, and that deck is still a thing when people finally get to play them, then Rogrin Triome Foil Extended Arts picked up in Europe right now around $21-$22.00. Could easily see them getting to 45 within the year, given that the U.S. pricing is already closing in on 30. You're talking 28 to 30 on TCG currently. Inventory is getting low. It's multi-format play. It fits into a million ADH decks. The art on these is incredible. It made our collector's corner uh, segment a few weeks back. So all of the signs point to Triumphs being very strong. Uh, You know, one of those, if you're only going to pick five or 10 specs a year, Triumphs could easily make that list.
1: Oh yeah, these were all great. Like all of them were very solid. I think I said that at the time as well. So uh, snagging these at you know several dollars below TCG low today is going to look great uh, in you know six to nine months. All right, so that's mine. What's your next one? Uh, following that, I uh, this is a rarity for me, but uh, sort of the animist out of Europe. Um, and I bring that up because I wanted to recommend it in America, but the numbers just don't work. That looks like the, the lower end has kind of gotten picked over. Um, it's about 23 bucks for the foil, sort of the animist. I' just G right now and I'm like, ah, I don't want to tell people to buy these at 23 if they're gonna to end up sitting at like 30-ish to 35. It's a little too high. But good news, if you're shopping on Magic Card Market, you can buy Foil Sword of the Animus for $11 US, like 10 euros. Um, and there was not too many copies over there, uh, but they were over there. So if you've got access to an MKM account, uh, you're basically already buying under TCG low by $10 if you're picking these up.
0: This was a pick of mine, I want to say, two years ago. Yeah, I looked.
1: It is not in this spreadsheet, so it would have been at least over a year ago. And I know we've talked about it. Uh, it was just quite a ways away.
0: I'm, I'm pretty sure on. the original call is a win um, over the time okay. horizon in question. But the And this card has, ta- has actually caught five printings. It was originally printed in Magic Origins. That's the only foils. Then you have Promo Pack, uh, Theros Beyond Death, where I think it's non-foil. Let me just double check that. No, there are foil versions out of those packs, but they are basically sold out. Um, and then there is Mystery Booster version, which is non-foil, Commander 2017, which is non-foil, and Arch Enemy Nickel Bolas, which is non-foil. And this is a card that they will definitely reprint multiple more times, but if it it's the kind of card where they want to print it so often that it will often show up in situations where it is non-foil. It references Nyssa very clearly, So they need to be somewhere where that makes sense. They're not just going to throw it into Innistrad werewolves versus vampires if Nissa isn't involved in that storyline. Yeah, and
1: I want to point out that it came to my attention because uh, while I was browsing some of the Commander Legends stuff, the equipment Commander seemed uh, more popular than I would have anticipated initially. So while I don't know if that's going to be the case, it at least got me looking into you know, the general equipment themes in EDH and what is popular if you go down that road. Uh, sort of the Animus is in 26,000 EDH rec decks at the moment. Uh,
0: and, and this inventory is real low on TCG. 11 results, yeah. total of 12 yeah. copies, 23 to 40, steep, steep ramp. I mean, 6% of all EDH
1: rec decks play this card. One, in, What's more off, more common than 1 in 20? Like, that's a, that's a lot of cards. It's a lot of decks that play Sword of the Animus, more than I would have expected. Yeah. Uh, I guess a lot of non green decks must be using this as ramp.
0: Uh, so, yeah. sounds like a solid arbitrage play if you can get get your hands on the copies. Yep. Uh, my next one is another Ikoria card. Ruinous Ultimatum is the highest percentage inclusion in its colors, not the most played card. But the highest percentage inclusion in its color is at about 25-26% according to EDH REC. So if you're running Mardu in EDH, there's a 1 in 4 chance you're running this card already. And it just came out 6 months ago. Foils are uh, available in the U.S. at about 11 bucks, And I could, the ramp is already looking steep. The inventory is looking relatively shallow. I think we have... 38 results and a, a modest, a moderately steep ramp. It's not going to take more than 15, 20 copies to drain out of the market in the US. And then this is going to be a $15 card and then another amount like that. And it's going to be $20 plus and it's never going to look back because this thing destroys all non-land permanents your opponents control. So it's basically the Cyclonic Rift for Mardu um, in colors where they don't have access to Rift uh, unless you're playing four color. Uh, plus. So out of the ultimatums, this looks like a surefire winner that has excellent showcase appeal. It's the kind of card that casual players can walk into a store or spot and go, oh, wow, that looks fun to beat my brother up upside the head with or, you know, uh, destroy my wife's such and such deck with. And... I don't see how this doesn't work out. Give it six months, 12 months. These are going to drain out. And one of the interesting things here is you would expect normally that this card would be cheaper in Europe, but if it it ever was, and I think it was, um, it's been targeted over there for the same reasons because at present, it's actually a couple bucks more expensive in the EU than it is uh, on TCG player. So that is a surefire sign that you should probably get your copies now if you want them.
1: Yeah. The inventory is solid. Like you said, 40 vendors with uh, a couple of vendors having some deeper pockets, but it's not that deep. Um, like you said, buy at 11 right now, but you know there's, what, 30-ish copies before you're up in the 15 range. So you're not going to turn this around tomorrow, but this will definitely be a nice l- 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 slow burn
0: for a ways to come, and, and, it, and it, it'll get there. A good little tip uh, that I don't think we've ever talked about on this cast, and tons of episodes, is if you have something like Omnath and you want to compare it to something like Runus Ultimatum and you want to get a sense of what the relative inventory is, given that Omnath is uh, is bought four at a time and Runus Ultimatum is probably bought one at a time, like odds are that you have a Mardu deck, decent for EDH. Odds that you have multiple Mardu decks that you're building and you want multiple copies of this, a lot lower. So you can take, if there's 100 copies of this, they're you can look at that as a hundred value. If there was a hundred copies of Omnath, I would say that the Omnath inventory is actually four times lower than the Ruinous ultimatum, even if technically they are the same number just because of the number of copies people will purchase per transaction.
1: Hmm. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it. Um, For the record, I think that I'm just poking around here. Genesis ultimatum is
0: also probably pretty good too. Um, because that one sees constructed play. That's showing. That has showed up in decks in Pioneer and Modern, uh, and Standard. And yeah, I don't. I don't know how. I, I think that in order from Standard to Modern, you you get more and more dubious as you get towards Modern in terms of its staying power in the format. But in the, Pioneer, it looks possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is never going to be a big card in those formats. This is like, oh, Seth is bored, so he yeah. tried to brew. You saw that deck this week. I know, I just know <laughs> that's the type of thing he does. Um, Bruid, you know, some wacky deck here. I mean, because it does have a powerful effect. You get to put any number of permanent cards from the top five of your library in the play. So, you know, if you're in modern, you can be like, okay, well, I'm, all right, I'm going to build a deck that puts hasty Emrakles in the play with Genesis Ultimatum. It's like, yeah, sure. Um, you know what? That could be an Omnath deck, honestly. Uh, but... The numbers there, there, here there, are there is actually wait, hold a, on. Wait, wait, wait. The numbers here are seven dollars for the foils. Um, but it hits there's only twenty six vendors and I mean it's all singletons and you're at probably twenty copies. It's twenty six total vendors, uh, and the last couple are thirty dollars. So there's like less than 20 copies of this foil showcase at, and they're seven bucks low
0: that's for the foil extended arts
1: mm-hmm foil extended See, arts.
0: i didn't choose genesis because ruinous is in more than twice as many edh decks but genesis does have a, a much greater shot at four of play in constructed formats and there actually is a, a real deck going around in pioneer right now that is 4 Lotus Cobra, 4 Uro, 4 Omnath, 2 Kenrith, 3 Thrifairi, 2 Ugin, the Spirit Dragon, 4 Growth Spiral, 3 Escape to the Wilds, 3 Genesis Ultimatum, 2 Felidar Retreat. And we covered this on Cast, I think, 3 or 4 weeks ago, because it had leapt formats from a version that was going on in Standard over into Pioneer. And it's put up a whole bunch of 5 results.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I'm not willing to give it any credit at the moment in Constructed. Uh I think that it's the type of thing that will pop up here and there. Someone will have kind of gotten lucky because their opponents will be like, what the hell is this person doing? Uh, and not realize it until it's too late. But, um, yeah, I the mean, thing- that's that's still an outside shot. Like, it won't hurt, I will say, but I wouldn't want to try and sell this to somebody on the basis that it will get there and competitive.
0: Yeah, but keep in mind, Lotus Cobra, Gross Spiral, Escape to the Wilds, and Omnath generate a lot more mana than your average deck so well, turn, right. turn turn four genesis ultimatums are not completely out of the question there
1: no i'm not saying they are i mean you're right if you're playing that deck you should probably just be doing something better with your seven or eight mana like instead you, you, of, because you're going to cast genesis ultimatum and then put two lotus cobras two two lands and a sorcery is what you're going to flip
0: I, i'll put it to this way i would put some of both of these in a cart yeah they, Yet, the, the inventory is not deep here. 20, no, 24 I, results is nothing.
1: And I agree with you that Ruinous Ultimatum is in more than twice as many decks. I'm, it's 4,700 for Ruinous Ultimatum versus um, ju- just over 2,000 for Genesis. So Ruinous is clearly seeing more play, but the inventory numbers don't seem reflect to that. Yeah, slightly favor Genesis Ultimatum for whatever reason.
0: Well, and sometimes that can mean that there's casual demand driving some of the sales, and sometimes it's competitive players that are you know, are doing well on Magic Online for something and start putting the, together the deck and paper. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to lots of people this year who are building competitive decks, even though they have nowhere to play them. The
1: people, need And to in copy. this case, you,
0: you don't have any big walls on the Genesis Ultimatum at the low end of the price range. The only wall on TCG is Pack Fresh Magic, one of the biggest sellers on the platform, and they have 20 copies, but they want 30 bucks for them. So they clearly are looking forward to the future.
1: Yeah, and I mean, they might... They might just be sitting there and waiting, and then they'll come down, down the road, like right when all the cheap copies come down. Maybe they'll bring theirs down the twenty to meet the demand at a certain point. The thing um, is that
0: the big vendors that have good analytics see card velocity a lot faster than the rest of us do. If we're, yeah. you know, they they can see that this card outsells other cards of the same class, like foil extended arts. By a five to one rate and they can be like okay well we'll just price this high this is going to drain out because whether or not we price it low somebody else will it'll sell and you know the this ramp is not long so we can wait it out near the top um i like these at seven i think that's a good side adjunct pick to mine
1: yeah i'm I'm looking at the other ones too here while we're chatting about it emergent ultimatum is kind of messy there's almost 60 vendors the price is like price is like 354 bucks so you should probably buy a couple, well, at least one for yourself just to have, cause it's cool, but uh, the inventory is deep. The EDA truck numbers are low. Um, so probably not making any headway there anytime soon. Eerie uh, Ultimatum, which is the uh, uh, Abzan one that just returns, reanimates crap, is about $13 uh, with 36 vendors, a couple pockets of inventory, but not too bad. Um, probably worse than both Runus Ultimatum and Genesis Ultimatum, just as a function of cost and uh, availability. Although I will say it's in 4,500 decks, so slightly more than either Ultimatum.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, okay, you got a final pick for us?
1: Yeah, wrapping up, nothing too terribly sexy, but I think probably will work for you. Padim, Console of Innovation... Uh, foils out of kaladesh he is about 350 right now so not too pricey there are a grand total of 11 vendors for the pack foils i think there is another there's like the, he's got like the also that promo deck printing and also the pre-release the pre-releases uh, are 10 dollars for the foils compared to the 350 you'll pay for the pack foils um, and then the promo one i think has like three or four copies like nothing uh he's in ten over ten thousand decks, uh very highly played if you're playing an edh if you're playing a edh deck that focuses on artifacts you are probably there's a good chance of running Padim um so with the number of copies out there the price down in the three to four range and the apparent popularity i think this is poised to hit ten dollars for the cheapest copy period uh relatively soon uh i there is no cool printing of this card um, he was in kaladesh which was before we got all the fancy versions um, so we haven't you know a pack foil is the best you're getting. it's possibly down the road that you'll get a uh a full art version of him but i don't know where that would be because even if we go back to Kaladesh, uh, and they if they bring him back, they're not going to bring him back as the same card. They're not going to reprint the card. They'll give Padim a new card. Um, so the only other place you would get a foil full art is like a Double Masters type set. But so I mean, he could show up there in like Modern Horizons two or something. But I just you know, he, it doesn't seem like he's any more likely there than
0: any other card really. If he dodged Double Masters. And he dodged Commander Legends, and he's from Kaladesh, and there's no Kaladesh sets on the horizon for 2021, then his best shots are the list, a secret layer, or uh, showing up in uh, a commander deck. If, say, Strixhaven has an artifact theme, and so one of the commander decks for Strixhaven has uh, an artifact-based commander, these are only 87 cents or something on TCG for non-foil versions, so that's a throw-in for a commander deck if ever there was one. But again, you won't get any foils, so these are going to drain out. And I think this is this was totally off my radar. But I don't. If you want a foil for yourself, may as well get the original for four bucks while you can, because give it another year or so, they just just won't be sitting around.
1: Yeah, I mean, you might I, eventually there might be a cooler version of this card, but you could be waiting
0: six years for it, and there's no guarantee it'll ever happen. So yeah, I, I don't see it as a priority reprint at any point. Nope. All right, so let's move on to Collector's Corner for this week. We're going to talk about some great uh, magic-related h- gifts for the holidays. Who knows what you're celebrating or where you are or to what extent you're going to be able to do that very easily. But I suspect that you know those who can afford to will still be sending, sending gifts to their loved ones and so forth or buying uh, some self-love for the holidays, as it were. So it might we're be gonna... a
1: lot of Secret Santa-type things floating around. Sure. For people that can't go hang out, their, their group Discord or their group Facebook chat puts together a Secret Santa type deal.
0: Yeah, so we've got some ideas on some really cool stuff that is out there for the gamers in your life, whether it's you giving a, a hint to your significant other or buying something uh, for someone you care about. am going to start with Aaron Kane custom deck boxes. I am a proud owner of an Aaron Kane Switchblade, which is a super cool little puzzle box as it were it's not much of a puzzle really you just have to rotate the the top and the bottom and it swings out but it's still a very nifty little mechanism and you can get them in a variety of simple or exotic woods i think they range in price from about 155 to 240 for his like tier four exotic woods um and they are stunners his this is top tier uh craftsmanship in uh, wood building product and you can put this thing's cool because you can put two like a dual deck setup in it you can put in two constructed decks or two edh decks uh and just have this uh at the, as a centerpiece that you can actually display in your home if you've got that kind of setup where you get a uh, a man or a gamer cave in the basement or whatever Ugh. and uh I hate
1: those words <laughs>
0: <laughs> fair the point being these are gorgeous um the Seems expensive for a deck box, but if you're going to buy one, like all-time best box for your favorite decks, this would be the one. Yeah, I'm
1: watching the video of this right now. That is uh, quite an attractive, um, quite an attractive device. There, uh, I have a. I don't own anything like this. I have a uh, my wedding ring is actually uh, inlaid with a very exotic wood, um, and it's really cool looking. I love it. I, and people talk, you know, comment on it and and uh, and like it. And I'm not saying this to stroke my own ego. The having things made of very nice exotic ornamental wood they look very pretty they look great on a shelf Uh, this is one of the very few magic related things i've ever seen that you could comfortably put on display in your home exactly not and not be embarrassed by it and i am including the john avon land prints by the way (laughs) <laughs> uh, so yeah these are uh, th- these are very pretty um i would almost be concerned about bringing this with me to places uh th-
0: this one is it's relatively heavy so it's not really a carry around thing it's more of a like you know your best friend comes over to play some magic and you whip this out and and play to yeah. carefully crafted decks that are designed to play to your relative strengths or something. But at pro traders in our discord, I've seen my setup before in my living room where I have like a dark wood cabinet that I've customized to a certain extent two big leather, uh, old school looking briefcase things that hold my deck collections. And then on the very top is the switchblade, And it's quite handsome. I, I mentioned a snag one, not directly from Aaron Kane, but somebody who was dumping one on eBay at one point. And, uh, I just took a shot on it one night on a late night auction and very, very happy with it. I recommend them all the time.
1: Oh, he's got the coca-bolo in his specialty exotic
0: yeah. woods.
1: Oh, Kingwood. Kingwood is what my ring is made of. Yeah. It's limited supply exotics.
0: You can get, and you can do a bunch of customizations. You can get like corner spleen joints, removable dividers, flocking. You can get different inlays, custom engraving. Uh, all sorts of stuff. And, and, and this is just one of his uh, catalog of products. And he's popular enough that his stuff sells out pretty quickly um, in the various waves. And you never know what's going to be in stock when you visit the site. But he's also got some other stuff. Like he has a classic deck vault. I bought my dad one of those at one point for Christmas. He loved it. Um, they are very, very handsome single deck boxes, and they are super portable and and appropriate for carrying around with you. Those things tend to go uh, significantly cheaper as well. So if you're buying for somebody else, they're like forty two to sixty six dollars. Like sixty six is the high yeah. end even for the super exotic woods, and those are keepers. Like that, that's a a collectible you will keep for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah, that walnut burl is uh, attractive as well. This um this stuff looks great, and I will tell you that. If you've ever done any sort of woodworking in any form, you watch the video for that, the actual switchblade deck, and you're like, uh huh, yep, that sure requires skill. <laughs> like, yep, I <laughs> can barely, like, you're like, I'm gonna do some really basic woodworking. And you're like, God damn, even nailing boards together is a pain in the ass to do the type of work that this guy's got going with that switchblade is uh, the mark of a craftsman.
0: Yep. All right, what's your first uh, shout out? Uh, so
1: I, I had to think about this a little bit that, um, with the, I referenced having written about this in the past and actually the article that I wrote was many years ago and, uh, I had to set an alarm or a calendar alert to write this article because I got given, uh, a, intro deck for Christmas one year. It was, it was one of the ones that's like 1099. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now this was like I was in the midst of my you know binder grinding at my local store type thing, and it was from a family member, and I love them dearly. And it was a very nice gesture, and I still have it. But receiving something like that is just like, uh. so I um, I I got it for Christmas, and I felt guilty that I didn't like it so i set a calendar alert to write an article 6 months later when it wasn't obvious and i wrote an open letter to friends and family members of magic players and it's like a ad lib type of thing so it's like i wrote it it's a form letter it's like dear underscore and then i'm like oh just circle the answer and it's like you know spouse friend great aunt who hasn't seen me since i was four years old like you know and it was just a letter that you could print out circle options and send to people that says please don't give me magic cards for gifts um and my argument was that magic cards are commodities it's like giving someone gas for their car it's not like it's not really a great gift uh and anyone who plays magic is like probably who plays magic seriously enough so that you would think to buy them magic cards as gifts like is so closely attuned to the prices for the most part that it like I don't know it just feels like it lacks all personality so I have thought about this in the past anyways but I think there's a lot of the trick to giving magic related items as a gift is specifically that don't give cards for the most part um with very few exceptions look for objects and accessories that really accentuate the hobby aspect of it, the sort of collectability. Um, because that's where, that's the type of thing that, cards cards come and go, but things like your deck box will last. And even if it's not a, a, a high quality, very expensive um, showpiece like that, it's just something that the person connects with on a slightly different level. Um, so yeah, that's my general thought here. My The first thing that came to mind is uh, is dice because most magic players will need dice at some point uh, along the way. And I remember having spent some time looking for these for myself many years ago. and I think dice is a perfect example of something that most people could not bring themselves to spend the money on really nice dice uh, because it just feels so silly. But if you buy somebody cool dice, they will love them and they will use them forever. Um, and I have seen, there's a ton of these out there and really the best bet is to, is to target them for the person you're buying them for. I had a, a an affinity for the like metal dice or some brass dice out there that are really cool and really you can get them in all metals, but those stood out to me. I've seen dice made out of bones, um, and if you just Google, honestly, just cool dice, you will see all sorts of really wild uh, effects. I know that the rise in D&D over the last couple of years and uh, what is a critical role in those types of things has really driven the market for that. So there's a million different products out there. But I'm sure you could find something that is um, going to be remarkable to look at that your recipient will probably really appreciate and use them. And they'll remember you every time they pull them out at their EDH. When I started game. DMing a couple of years back
0: and which is an ongoing process the i went right down the rabbit hole like basically whatever hobby i pick up i'm gonna go buy a shit ton of stuff related that's just mm-hmm. my thing so that's why yeah. you pick up the hobby uh, that's
1: hence 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 the photo i posted on twitter this week where i have a full driving steering wheel kit set up next to a vr headset it's like oh if you're gonna do something buy the cool
0: stuff yeah, and so I I have I did spend some time like a year, year and a half ago dry, like driving around the internet looking at the hottest possible dice. And the ones I ended up ordering for myself were by a company called Dispel that was a major, major Kickstarter. I think a million dollars raised on custom dice. And their whole thing was that they were sharp-cornered uh, resin dice where they were um, curing them with... Uh, a variety of very interesting um uh like gold leaf flake and little patches of color and so they ended up looking like starscapes and they have things names like dragon's heart and galactic ocean and rose gold and milky strawberry mm-hmm. galaxy the mariana very trench heavy
1: on the very heavy on the refractory, yeah. Properties and just,
0: like really gorgeous colorings um, that will stand out at any table. Now, a couple of warnings: a) there was some drama about that particular company that I won't get into here, but it's been an ongoing thing. Um, they did, I think, manage to deliver my dice set. I think I got the uh, black emerald, which was one of the first ones they revealed during that Kickstarter, and uh, I haven't laid mm-hmm. hands on it yet because it's down at my parents in Ohio that I haven't been able to visit all year. Um, so one of the things to consider is that uh, a lot of these things are best found on Etsy or Kickstarter, but you got to be aware of lead time. So in terms of the holidays, you might be able to get an order in with a company, not to spell because they're booked solid for a year, but with a company like them, but you got to check how fast they can get them to you. You really want to be dealing with stuff that's in stock, ready to ship for these holidays. And uh, the other thing to consider is that on certain tables, the heavier dice, the custom ones that are in resin and so forth, they'll damage the table. Because these dispel dices have sharp corners. So if you take that to somebody's house and try to roll them up on their brand new dining room table, you're going to get in big trouble. So make sure you've got mats and (laughs) that you consider what you're rolling on. Uh, All the more reason to get a dice tray to go with the dice.
1: If my dice dent your table, you have a cowardly table (laughs) and you deserve to have it dented.
0: They're Um, pretty heavy.
1: These are, these are, well, yeah, that was a concern with the brass ones. Uh, these are quite uh, remarkable looking. They're, uh, some of them are are, are fantastic. Um, I would, some of these they use like like salmon on salmon coloring. So I would caution you if you're buying dice to try and get ones that you can read. Um, what,
0: one of the nice things I noticed though is if you have any skill or you have paint in the house with small brushes because you do minis or whatever like I do. Um, I I wasn't a huge fan of the uh, color contrast they were using for the numbering on my dice, so I always intended to change it. Um, to change it, yeah. Out. And then you just gotta be careful when you do that, but it's certainly doable because the painting of the dice in your hands or their hands is more or less the same thing, and it's, uh, yeah. it's certainly a doable thing.
1: They look pretty with that sort of like same coloring on the on the in on the inside as you have within the center of the dice but man i can imagine rolling that and the dice being more than two feet away and being like uh-huh can you pass that over here because i can't, yeah so if you, if you look at I the galactic at ocean
0: on their page that one's got the best contrast it's not even close like, because they're using yes, it's like blues yeah. and greens and well, gold and then it's just stark white as the lettering so yeah, it's the it works o- perfect
1: it's the only one with the white text yeah
0: <laughs> yeah yeah all right but anyway, those go for really good ones are gonna be 50 50 to 80 bucks uh and uh, they're great gifts. Um, next thing on my list is the Coalesce Apparel. That's, uh, I think, the apparel shop that um, Cedric Phillips and Co. Uh, started maybe last year. And they've got a bunch of cute designs on there that are in a pretty good price point. Anywhere from, like, 20 bucks for a t-shirt to 50 bucks for a hoodie. They've got, like, a Wooberg clan and... And they've got some Black Lives Matter stuff. They got some Easy as One Two Seven with Karn on it for the Tron players. Um, all sorts of cute, magicy stuff. And there's like an 80 is the is the new 60 for Yorion. Pretty good job of getting new product out every so often that you know taps into some memes or trend lines in the Magic community and uh, I've been scoping a couple of these things out to get for maybe for my dad for Christmas this year
1: these are um, these exist <laughs> I think I think the average Magic player would probably be tickled pink to receive some of these I have f- opinions about clothing like this but <laughs> my own personal opinions aside uh, these seem like they are would definitely land with a certain subset of magic players, especially like the Borg shirts are are solid. Those are, as I'm looking at the collection, probably the best. I mean,
0: my thing with this is that clean anybody can launch an apparel company, but you need a, a strong graphic designer to really bring it together to to have a collection that has a, a relatively con- coherent theme. And compared to most of what nerds will rock at their local LGS or show up at the GPN, this is superior. There, there, there are some strong designs here that are both eye-catching and just clean. They, they're they not ridiculously busy. The graphics work is, is strong and the concepts are solid. And I think that's the kind of thing I'm looking for if I'm going to throw some nerd gear on. Yeah, I mean, like
1: the the shirt with the Wu-Tang Clan that they stole and put wu in the middle of is a good example. Because to the average person, they're just going to think it's a Wu-Tang shirt. Uh, for magic players, it's an in-joke. And it's a lot better than a smoky picture of Liliana doing hand gestures. Yes, exactly. Like, which is just like the worst type of magic apparel. So I think if you're going to go anywhere with it, this is the way to go. How, have you have you purchased any of it before? I'm just wondering what the, the bl- quality Black is. Black Lives
0: Matter hoodie is what I've got my eye on, and I asked somebody else that had it, and they said they liked it.
1: Do they? Do I was just wondering what the, the actual T-shirt quality is. Um,
0: Always a factor, because even things like, um, what's the big, the huge? Threadless. Threadless. Threadless quality has apparently degraded to the point where it's not orderable anymore.
1: Wow. I used to get tons of that a lot of clothing from threadless lots of people did and then apparently every time they had one of those sales and they were 10 bucks man i'd be like great i am set for the next six months on
0: clothes (laughs) and then they get to a a startup like that gets to a funding plateau where the investors say listen we want you to squeeze out another 22 percent margin next year and they end up outsourcing it to the cheapest possible factory and then apparently the designs just wash right off the clothes Ugh.
1: well in any case i think these are uh I think there are definitely a subset of people who will appreciate this clothing. Yep. And, and especially and if you've got and a and it's also
0: small C capitalism started by people in the magic community and
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Great gifts for the teenagers in your life. <laughs> wow. All
0: right. So talk to me about the plane chase set that lots of current newer magic players probably don't even know about.
1: Yeah, that's probably true. Uh uh, this, some of our listeners may not even be aware of this, but Plane Chase was a product they made quite a few years ago, 2011 maybe. Um, and they're large format cards. So they're the you know the square footage of like two and a half normal magic cards and they represent planes. Um, and then there are... The idea is that these planes... You play a game of magic and the plane just... You are on the plane showing. So like I have a stack of planes. It's 30 deep. The top plane is Urborg. And as long as we are in Urborg, like swamps produce double mana and like all creatures are black or all lands are swamps and uh, all creatures are black. Um, and that's just like a, they're like just like state based effects. They also like will have activated abilities on them. They come with their own little special dice called the plane chase die and they have abilities that trigger. But it's a very cool way to add some spice to your game's magic. Um, they're great for EDH. Uh, and we used to do that. We'd have our stack and we would just, you know, you just sit down to play EDH, but you add the plane chase set to it. Um, they're I like the twist they put on the game. They're the type of thing that, again, most Magic players wouldn't buy for themselves, most likely. They might think it's not worth it, uh, but it is a, if you've got a, an EDH group you get together with a lot, especially one where you guys play together frequently and might feel like occasionally it drags because you play often enough that you've kind of seen everyone's decks and nobody can build new decks. Like you can't just build a brand new deck every week. I mean, you can, but like it's hard to keep up with that. So this is a great way to add a lot of extra flavor and spice to your play group um, that you know the group could kind of enjoy as well. Uh, and I don't I honestly I haven't checked the prices on these. Some of them are a pain in the ass to get a hold of and quite pricey. But you can probably hit um, get large groups of them. Uh, the more common ones for pretty cheap because they're sold as, as as pack as uh, packages like precons so the sealed precons are better pricey but the individual ones um like on ebay or, or buying them on TCG Player or something probably shouldn't be too bad but that's a cool way to add some new depth to your to your games of magic that's better than just buying somebody the chroma that they need for their whatever deck
0: yeah, these are, these are a good one to have on hand if you run a lot of play groups. And basically the way it works is the dice, two-thirds of the time the dice does nothing and everybody gets a free roll per turn and I think you pay extra mana when you want to roll it more often. And one of the uh, faces on the six-sided die will switch planes to a new plane and then the other... Uh, uh, non-blank port uh, face of the dice will set off some kind of chaos effect that is specific to that plane. Um, I've had plenty of fun playing with him throughout the years. I don't drag him out all that often, but it's not something I would ever sell either um, because it's nice to have in a magic collection and have that option. It's really for people that if you if EDH games weren't complicated and long enough and you wanted more of that, these are a really good way to get there. Um, it's the kind of thing that that seems like it would turn off Jason Alt, and I'm totally down with. So the plane chase things are fun. And there's a bunch, I I think eBay is your best bet because you can get people that cracked the plane chase anthology and are selling just the planes. Um, and I think the anthology itself is about 160. If you want to get the decks that goes with it and yeah, solid, solid gift.
1: Yeah. I'm seeing, it looks like you can get 40 of them, 40 planes, uh, for 40 bucks. And the 86 plane package is 90. Um, yeah, I I will I will say for the for the games themselves, sometimes they drag the game out. Other times it comes yeah. to <laughs> a very fast head. Like if you hit a plane that like doubles your mana and you've already or kind triple of triples like, damage or whatever. Yeah, they 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 are all over the place. I'm inclined to say that planes probably speed up most games but i guess i haven't played enough to be able to say that confidently it does
0: matter which planes come up in which order and what game decks you're playing at yes. the time yeah for it sure it just adds it adds sure. more uh more variance to games so if you if yes. that's the part yep. of edh you don't like this is not the direction for you
1: correct uh, uh, it's, it's very much a it dials the fun up <laughs> for, <laughs> you know, whatever that means for you. Um, all right. So your last one here is a bit of a splurge, just as much as the first one. Uh, really. This
0: one's a classic uh, for those of us that played back in the mid late 90s. These were all over the place for a while. They're called uh, Scry. Reaper Miniatures made these things called Scry Life Counters for Scry Magazine. And they are pewter uh, and, and or metal. I think maybe some of them are not pewter. Um, and they're basically heavy uh, metal life counters that only go up to 20. So they're not awesome for EDH unless you get two of them. Uh, oh, they they flip over. Oh, do they go up higher on the other side? I, for- I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. So yeah. there's a bunch of different things on, that land in the middle and that you can spin around to track your life. What, wizards and uh, there's uh, wizards in different poses. There's a claw that's holding a like Eye of Sauron type of bauble. And they're not that easy to find these days. They go for anywhere from like 100 to 200, depending on which version. You can probably get them on Facebook for less. Sometimes you get them in magic collections if they're old enough. And they're not hard to unload. And if I was to come across one somewhere, I would snag it for myself because I probably had two or three of these back in the day. I don't know what happened to them along the way. There is a little bit of nostalgia there. And if someone got me one of these for Christmas, I'd be totally down with it.
1: Oh, I mean, somebody gets you one of these for Christmas, you should be very thankful that somebody cares enough about you to spend this much on a little piece of pewter. Uh they're really cool. I have one. I ha- I picked up two of them in a collection forever ago and held on to them. Uh I have the I have the hand that's grabbing the orb and the wizard with the spell above him, although the spell above the wizard broke off cuz that was um, pretty fragile but they're really cool i used it when we used to play edh and it is it's it's i think it's a definitely a status symbol gift because most people who sit down will not recognize it as being something distinct um just because like it just looks like a 3d life counter type of thing but for people who know their history will recognize it and be like oh that's pretty cool that's a that's an old Scry Life Counter. Those are those are fancy. You're talking
0: like 1994, 95 collectibles for Magic.
1: Yeah, so these are going on 30 years old, 25 years minimum right now. Yep. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: So what's your what did you want to call out as your uh, final pick for Collectors Corner?
1: Well, so if you've got a Magic player in your life that you want to get a gift for, um, but maybe Magic specific things aren't quite what you have in mind uh i would highly recommend making the jump into board games uh because there's a lot there for your average magic player to enjoy Um, and the two titles i think probably would hit the best Uh, are Clank and Wingspan, Uh, both very affordable. At least Clank is. Uh, Wingspan should be pretty reasonable, too. I think these are probably around $40, depending on where you catch them on sale. Uh, Clank is a deck builder. It's similar to if you ever played Dominion, or uh, Ascension was the one that Kibler worked on that was real hot in the Magic community for a couple weeks. Um, But Clank really took that format to a new level. But if if you're a Magic player you will be able to pick up Clank and understand it very, very quickly. Um, And it does a lot of cool things that you you often want to be able to do with magic. And Clank is just a great experience in a box that not only can you as a magic player get a kick out of, but the non-magic playing people in your life will also be able to play it and enjoy it uh, because it doesn't require understanding the rules of magic, which are honestly significantly complicated and right, right. How long does it take to get to the point in magic where you can really enjoy the cool stuff in it? Um, I mean, that's basically EDH and that's, that's a long windup for time to learn. So uh, a game like clank lets people get in on those experiences much, much easier, like 20 to 30 minutes of some pregame instruction and they're in and they're getting the hang of it. Uh, so that's a deck building game. Your, your deck looks different every time, uh it has a lot of little archetypes you get to explore a lot of expansions there's a legacy version if you get into it i think that's a great title for people who are already in the magic the other title is wingspan which uh won i think some version of the board game of the year award probably for 2019 i'm gonna go with um if you've if you're if you know board games, it is sort of like a light version of Terraforming Mars. Terraforming Mars is by far my favorite board game I've ever played, uh, but that is definitely. Uh, going to be a harder leap for people who are new to the board game world. Wingspan is a lot easier to get your feet wet with. It's going to be much more approachable uh, for both for magic players who never really got into this world and also for your friends and family members. Wingspan is still very playable. Um, you can play this with your parents pretty easily. Um, phenomenal artwork and design. So it's uh, it doesn't feel like a goofy, nerdy dragon game. It's all about like birds, like real life birds, um, with all sorts of scientific names on them and facts about them. And, uh, it doesn't, it feels much more, um, I guess I'm gonna say mature, I guess it feels less childish, um, than some of this stuff feels, but I think these are both title. And the the nice thing about Wingspan is it's sort of like, it's, it's a very mini version of cube, um, and you're gonna get this taste of that. If you like playing Cube and then you play Wingspan, you're gonna get some of the same tastes. And then if you're really getting a kick of that, you should try Terraforming Mars because that is basically cube in a box. But I think both of these would be great gifts for someone in your life who really enjoys magic uh, and you wish that maybe you could. They're not into magic and maybe you want to get them hooked on gaming in general. These are probably good gateways. They're the type of thing you can play with your parents. It's going to be a good bridge for you who enjoys magic, but your parents you're, you know, your parents aren't going to play magic, but like maybe you're looking for something to do with them. Um, when you're home for the holidays type of stuff. Uh, I, I recommend both of these heartily.
0: Nice. Uh, on my end, the game I've enjoyed the most the last few years is definitely Kingdom Death. Uh, that was also a Kickstarter and it's can't, it's <sighs> pretty hard to find new copies of that. <laughs> uh, but if you're into, you know, tactical role playing slash legacy games that take, you know, 10, 20 sessions to complete uh, Kingdom Death is right up there in the top five of all time. So uh, if you can track down a copy or you've got somebody who can host it because they have it, um, definitely, you know, once COVID relaxes restrictions and you can hang out, that would be uh, worth taking a look at. I guess my final call out, if you thought the other stuff was expensive, this is... this is.
1: Can I can I pause you before you talk about this? Yeah. I, King, I have not played Kingdom Death. That looks very cool. I would point out for our listeners that uh, a... a Similar experience at a fraction of the cost is Gloomhaven, which basically took over the board gaming world, which I also have not played, but has just become unbelievably popular. And I think you can get those on sale for like 60 bucks. So... If you if that if you're into that type of thing, Gloomhaven will give you a similar experience for a very approachable price point. And then if you play it and you really love it, then Kingdom Death is a, another world you can dive into with much heavier on the collectible aspect. I,
0: I would argue they are extremely different games. Um, and really, and I, don't, and I actually don't understand why Gloomhaven is so popular. Ellie and I played a lot of that uh, in the spring when COVID kicked off in video game form, uh, and. I find the mechanics in Gloomhaven to be completely uninteresting. And for as someone who's done RPG stuff, both video gaming, gaming, tabletop gaming, minis, D&D, Kingdom Death, and the whole nine, I was really underwhelmed by Gloomhaven. I think that uh, I, I, I must be missing something with that game because I just I, find it I, super boring combat. Um, and to, like, if... Kingdom Death, I would put as a 9.5. I would put Gloomhaven as a 6 to a 7. And in terms of the style of game, Gloomhaven is very straightforward tactical combat. You go into a room, you have cards in hand, and the most interesting mechanic in the whole game is that you can spend the cards only a certain number of times before you run out of them completely. And if you haven't finished the mission by that point, the mission's over. Manage that resource management is the most interesting part of the game, but once you solve that dilemma, and especially as the game goes on and you get more your deck gets better and better, it becomes easier and easier to solve that dilemma. And uh, I think the game peaks very early. Kingdom Death is a completely different thing. Completely, de- Kingdom Death is artistically and stylistically miles apart from Gloomhaven, which I consider to be like a hollow shell of existing fantasy tropes. Kingdom Death is very strange, very specific, and you're basically four. You start as four survivors that are just you. Just wake in the darkness with ink dripping from your eyes, and there is a terrible, monstrous lion in front of you that you have to fight and Whoever survives the encounter, and typically some of those characters will not, will then go on to found a colony, and then you end up in basically a two, uh, a three-phase game for twenty sessions or so, and the fa- you basically have a settlement management phase, which is will be familiar to anybody who's done RPGs where you're managing a base, and then you go out on a hunt where you're trying to get to the end of a hunt track. And events, random events happen that are often very frustrating and set you back and ultimately will make the resulting final battle of the hunt that much more difficult. Whatever happens in there happens and then you go on and you fight a monster and that constitutes a year. And then you go back and you do the whole thing again and then a bunch of cool stuff happens along the way. Relatively simple in the in the overall dynamics but the the subtlety of the lore and the design is miles beyond gloomhaven well i so i will
1: specify i have not played either um and i so i'm not really vested in making a claim about what's better what's not uh i obviously the aesthetics are significantly different no no question there um i know that i all i can tell you is that gloomhaven has been remarkably successful. Very. Uh, so, Fish. like, you know, it's... Uh, it, sure, I, I have. I, I also hate lots of things that are popular, so, like, I'm not <laughs> bragging on you about that. That's just my, the point I would bring. make. I will also comment that I think playing board games online is not an accurate representation of the game. Um, obviously, it'll give you a flavor for it, but uh, I think there are a lot of games that probably feel worse online than they do in the real world and i suspect there are certain types of games where that hits even harder than others like some games might still feel pretty good online where other like styles of game might feel much worse um i don't know for sure but it's it is something i kind of wonder about
0: i'll say this much if you were to play gloomhaven with two people that were not at your level like weren't tactically minded I think you would find very quickly that you ended up dominating the conversation and you were playing the game by yourself because (laughs) in in theory, you're not supposed to talk about what you're going to do before you do it in Gloomhaven. In reality, humans are humans and they will tend to (laughs) do that. And then the dominant personality will tend to set the tone for the game. Um, However, I will point out this. There's a product called Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, which was designed to be quicker to put to run and more accessible. And if I was re- referring people to something for, you know, a holiday gift, it would be that because it's A, it's cheaper, B, it's less stuff, it's less messy, it's less big, it's less to absorb, and tends to be a better introduction to Gloomhaven. Yeah, I, I will
1: point out I was not advocating for Gloomhaven as a introductory product. I just When you're talking about Gloomhaven, I know that the prices on that can hit like hundreds and hundreds. Sorry, uh, sorry, sorry, mean you mean, you mean Kingdom Death? or kingdom death kingdom death you know you're not buying you're not you can't basically buy kingdom death in a playable form for less than like three or four hundred dollars
0: that's the base set now there's all sorts of stuff beyond that but you don't need any of it to play the first campaign of kingdom death most of what kingdom death puts out and keep in mind they haven't delivered on their kickstarter and it's been four years like i'm still waiting on wave three and four (laughs) Of, of that of that kickstarter partially because of covid partially because of mismanagement on their part um, they did get waves uh, one and two out okay, but there's this huge add on that was put in the Kickstarter called the Gambler's Chest, which is hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of value that we got for, I don't know, hundred and fifty or two hundred or something. And they've struggled. They're like eighteen months late getting it out the door. So in theory we're maybe getting it next summer.
1: Well, I, I only I only brought it up because you, you said Gloomhaven or you said Kingdom Death, and I'm like wow. I get it. Sounds good. Gloomhaven is a, a more approachable... Uh, economically more approachable.
0: Along those lines, there's also Descent, which is getting a whole new version, um, and a bunch of the D&D board games. So if people are looking for those kind of options. the uh, yeah, So you know, this I, big... I, Go ahead. What
1: do you want to say? By... I just uh, As something else, as an add-on to what you said, I will just indicate that I... And it's a little more into the weeds, these cooperative board games, I have that, that same problem every time, or with, regularly, which is if everyone at the table is working together, one person ends up playing the game while everyone else listens. Um, and it's not limited to any of these titles. Like it's why I think pandemic is nowhere near as good. Pandemic is really good for a group of people who have never played it before, but really bad. If the skill levels vary at all, because yeah. one person just plays a whole damn game. So those like those mo- I tend to strike stay away from those, um, cooperative board games for the sole reason that one person plays for everybody most of the time.
0: Yeah. There are, and you have to read the room too. Like the, anyway, that's a whole different topic. Like which games for which, yes. which, which play groups, yes. but, Final point I wanted to thing I wanted to flag prophecy gaming table by Wormwood and really any of their tables, they've got a new Kickstarter for a modular gaming table system that has some overlap with the prophecy. This is if you're really, if you're looking for an heirloom, like you're going to keep this table for your entire gaming life. You have a gaming as a big feature in your family and your significant other is going to be cool with you having a dining table that is a stunning and B hides an excellent gaming surface with a bunch of modularity you're talking like five to ten thousand for these things but they are like this is <laughs> if you're in a position where despite covid and everything else is going on in the world you've got the kind of coin to throw at something like this this get this thing over a pool table any day you'll get way more use out of it
1: have you used it? have you used it before I, i've just watched have them. i've watched have
0: done tons of, tons of research on it and watched uh, they have a whole youtube channel where they Detail the inner workings of their business and factory life, um, called uh, Worm Life, that Ellie and I have been watching for ages, and uh, so we're we're pretty pretty in the weeds on on the details of this thing. And I've seriously considered getting one of these, but (laughs) it's uh, first of all, their kickstarters tend to sell out, um, and their delivery dates are like months or years out at this point. But uh, and you could probably have a master craftsman in your area take a look at this project and put something similar together for you for significantly less mm-hmm.
1: but well i will say it is very pretty uh six thousand dollars starting price of five thousand for the table is certainly uh no joke yeah a big bite big bite to, to chew but uh they look very nice
0: yeah i mean they've just got so many cool features you can have like el LCD monitors built into them. You can have acrylic overlays. You can have battle maps for D&D. You have all these magnetic cup holders and snack holders and stuff you can attach to them. Um, And, of course, they love all that stuff because they get to charge you extra for every little thing. But the, the key point is that these are, you know, master craft works. So they look fantastic in your living room if you're having people over for Thanksgiving dinner in 2021 when you can safely do that. And then you can pull the leaves off and... Get to gaming, and uh, yeah, they're they are the I do grail. See they
1: have they have uh, custom dice containers so that it can pair with yeah. what I was talking about earlier. Yep. You can buy this particular uh, dice a coffin vault for your dice. Ooh, this one is only six hundred and sixty-six dollars.
0: <laughs> they are not cheap, but they are uh, gamer life goals. Uh, that is. That is something. All right, so let's get to our final segment. We're just going to do a quick overview of some of the early trends uh, with Commander Legends. Hard to say, you know, given the supply chain issues, whether how many players have even gotten to get their hands on this stuff. I mean, pre-release activities are choked off. Uh, and this is the kind of set where you really need to get hands dirty on these cards and play with them for a little bit to kind of start to understand their potential. And I think it, it's real sh- a real shame that this set is released during COVID because this is the kind of thing where a pre-release would have kickstarted product sales harder than almost anything else. Because you don't see a lot of the potential of some of these partner cards until you've actually been forced to play with them or against them. And it starts to churn the wheels and you start to get into that puzzle solving mode and you, you, you start to want to build decks. so. Obviously, some of that's still going to go on as people start to get their hands on this product, but I wonder, you know, whether we're a little early to be looking at these stats. That being said, might as well flag what we what we know so far. So as it stands, the three biggest commanders in the set are Obeka, Brute Chronologist, Araumi of the Dead Tide, and Uriok of Scorch Thrash. And isn't that Yurlock? Yurlock? Oh yeah, Yurlock, not, not Uriok. So. The common theme here is that these are these commanders do unique things. And and that sends to seems to send a fairly strong signal. As commander becomes a bigger and bigger format, you have more and more options for commanders. It's going to be harder and harder for a new commander to break out and become popular. The trigger point for that, looking at these these early figures, seems to be this commander does something no other commander does. It's not just some variant on putting plus one plus one counters on stuff. Ends the turn. Very build around. You've got uh, Around Me of the Dead Tide that exiles cards from your graveyard equal to the number of opponents you have. And then you get to give a creature Encore, which is popping creatures out of your graveyard repeatedly. And then you've got Your Lock, who brings back Mana Burn, which is both a nostalgia thing and an interesting uh, mechanic to build around.
1: I will say that I think that the the, I agree that the appealing commanders are going to be the ones that do something distinct. The breakout. yeah, the stuff that really catches your eye. I think Obeka is a good example of one of those who. So we talked about this before. Obeka is a is a weird commander. She does something weird and different and new, which is ends a turn on command. I also think that that particular ability is going to be very difficult and ultimately boring to build around. I think your I talked before that your lock brings back the monoburn. burn, um, cool, interesting, unique, but also probably a little more accessible. I think RMI is in. As far as I can tell, my best guess a um, an outlier and probably will fall to the back of the pack later because he doesn't he she he doesn't do anything that interesting. Like it just puts some cards in your graveyards and gives somebody encore, which is not to say that it's not powerful, but it just doesn't seem to be particularly compelling in a way that any other number of commanders are. So I'm wondering if he's going to lose some ground here as people start to get their hands on these cards.
0: Entirely possible. It's also true that being interesting is not enough. The play pattern also has to be good. So your point about is can you build Obeka in such a way that the deck is still uh, functional and fun if Obeka is not in play? Because fi- you don't want to be casting Final Fortune unless you can tap Obeka. So how many how many cards that work only if Obeka is in play can you have in your hand before you're just falling way behind on board? Um, so so mm-hmm. there's that and. There's also the complication of the partners providing a myriad of options that go beyond the singular commanders. And so far, we've got a couple of standouts that are not super surprising. Like I flagged Sakashima as being probably the most important partner in the set because it's great in the 99 and interesting to partner with other things and has relatively uh, open-ended synergies in the sense that it can copy uh, another creature and the legend rule doesn't apply. So you can have two of a given legend.
1: The, the legend rule doesn't apply, I think, is the key component on that because that's not, oh, I can have two versions of this card. It's, oh, I can have
0: nine Sure, of you these. could keep copying the same thing. I could have six atraxes or whatever. Yeah. And then rog Rock, son of Rogah, the zero one one for 0 kobold warrior with first strike menace, trample, and partner um both of these have been reported in oh like 80 to 100 decks early goings um i would also imagine i I think tevish zat is going to be featured uh alongside sakashima in one of the command zone lists that's coming up togo uh i think with Kadoma of the east tree and i think jessica with kamal and I can't remember what the fourth combo is. I think it might be a Chroma, and Rog Rock or something, something like that.
1: The, the I will say the what struck me here was the popularity of the equipment commanders, um, because uh, Arden, Intrepid Archaeologist, which is uh, a, the beginning of combat on your turn, you can equip any number of ores and equipment. Uh, She's at 55 on here, which is pretty high. You also have, like you said, the Togo is at 25, which is on the lower end, but still well above the halfway point, I think, here. Um, He's equipment related. Uh, There was... Who's the other one? There were a couple people here that were... uh, Rogok, son of Rorga. seems to be showing up primarily with equipment commanders because he's... First Strike, Menace, and Trample, and so cheap, so he's good to put equipment on. Um, so th- I, that that surprised me, was that the equipment seemed to have taken people initially.
0: Yeah, we'll see how that plays out over time. Now, we, we had flagged the cards we thought were going to be the biggest deal, and indeed, these are the ones that are showing up with the biggest stats so far. You've got the five dual lands that are auto-includes in EDH decks. If you want to keep your Commander Legends speculation simple, look for the lows on the foil extended arts of these, because... Unlike some of the other duels we've gotten recently, these are not going to be in nearly uh, as great supply because the foil extended arts are not super populous in these uh, Commander Legends collector booster boxes, and it's unclear how many of the CB boxes are even going to land for this set. And since this is the only place you can get those (laughs) for the foreseeable future, um, they might well take off in three to six months instead of six to twelve plus, but remains to be seen how much product ends up in the market um we've also got opposition agent and hull breacher as the two kind of mega staple standouts uh, opposition agent obviously shuts down searching and has flash so it makes it easy and then hull breacher also has flash and whenever opponents draw extra cards you get treasure which gives you some ramp and blue that's appreciated
1: if- if I'm looking, I, I'm not sure that I understand the way that EDHREC does their stats, but it would seem that 100% of black decks that have been made since Commander Legends was put on the site have used Opposition Agent. And same with Hall Breacher, 100% of blue decks have included Hall
0: Breacher. I think that's how that works. In, in theory, I don't I don't but know I, whether their stats are functioning perfectly right now because I know they yeah. had to make some changes to accommodate this set. So we'd have to run it by Jason and get a, get the lowdown on whether those numbers are real, <laughs> because uh, Obeka isn't a hundred percent of the Grixis decks in the last couple of weeks. But that's not that crazy because there aren't you know other than Necassar there aren't very many popular Grixis decks being built. Period.
1: Right. That could be every person who's made a Grixis deck in the last five days made an right. Obeka deck. That, like, that's not the same that thing I at all. believe. But but it's weird that five hundred and thirty seven black decks have been made. And every single, well, that, yeah. Well, I don't know, I take that back. Yeah. So if you look at Obeka, that's 129 and 129. But if you look at Opposition Agent, it's in 537 decks, but it's 100% of 506 decks. So that to me says 506 people have, 506 black decks have been made since Opposition Agent was put on the site. It's in every single one of them, but also other people that had black decks added Opposition Agent in. 'Cause it's in more decks than have apparently shown up as new. Whatever, it doesn't well, really matter. Those cards are clearly really popular. <laughs>
0: yeah, they're they're a smothering tide level staples. So so if you want to yeah. keep yourself you know, keep your specing simple, the duels and those two cards at lows is probably all you need, uh, in this set, to be honest um you've got lotus jeweled lotus showing up in 50 percent of decks so far that card's bound to keep crashing down to some much more reasonable level and then the question becomes whether people start to underestimate it if people like travis are just like ah that's garbage i'm not going to touch it not going to spec on it, i'm not going to buy it for any decks and that goes on for a while and yet the card keeps selling then there could end up a point where people realize you know what actually the foil extended arts got down to 60 from the original two to three hundred and there aren't that many left so i'm very curious to see what happens with that card um
1: you you can really see the difference in popularity here with opposition agent and Hall breach are both uh well over 500 decks and then you start looking for stuff that hits in the same number now you you're gonna skip all the two and three color cards because by virtue those are much harder to fit into uh, into as many decks but the next highest Basically, next card—the next card, other—that's next non-land card that's in nearly as many decks is uh, Court of Grace, which is the white enchantment that makes you a monarch, and that's at one hundred and eighty-five. So you're t- thats like one fourth, roughly, a little one third of the popularity of Hall Breacher and Opposition Agent. So those are hitting real hard. Those two cards.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm looking. I'm looking at Court of Grace, Jessica's Will, Wheel of Misfortune, Court of Bounty, Acroma's Will, Apex Devastator as one of the biggest mythics that only appear. That isn't a legendary, so it appears as an extended art foil mythic. There aren't that many of those in in this set because uh, of how many of the cards in question um, are. How many of the mythics in question are legendary and hence don't show up as extended arts, but instead show up as etched foils. Um, And there's way more of the etched foils in the three slots in the collector boosters where they can appear than there is of the foil mythic extended arts. Those are easily the rarest of the available products. So something like Apex Devastator, even though it's probably only, you know, a, a moderately popular card with some strong Timmy appeal, they still may drain out. Especially quick, quickly as time goes on.
1: Mm hmm. Just not going to be enough supply to keep up, especially with all these additional supply constraints as it is.
0: And then, of course, there's all the reprints. I mean, we're not even looking at those because EDH Rec splits those numbers out. So you've got extended arts for Soul Ring, Command Tower, Source of to Plowshares, Cultivate, Counterspell, Arcane Signet. Um, no reason to be looked, trying to figure out if. A card that is currently in fortieth place is gonna climb up the ladder when you can just watch for the lows on this stuff that is obvious. Extended art, foil, soul ring, <laughs> no-brainer. Counterspell, Arcane Signet, Command Tower, a lot of reliquary tower, etc. A lot of this stuff has never had this specific premium treatment. And this is where a lot of your interest should lie.
1: Um so I the TCG player has some interesting data. First of all, this is the first foil th- thought vessel we're getting, right? Yeah, this is in the set. So you were getting foil thought vessels. So I bet that's gonna be popular. Um if you check out TCG player by the best selling, um Jeweled Lotus comes in first, which already makes me suspicious about this data point. Um three visits. Well, just because it's an expensive card, like expensive cards tend not to be the best selling on TCG player. It's like commons and uncommons people need. Hence the second place is three visits. Um Third you know, then the next card is Monodrain, then Thought Vessel, Ramos, the Dragon Engine, the Foil Etched, or at least Ramos, um Xur, Brago, Arkelos, the the Um No, not Simic. But Salt saltai. saltai guy that makes stuff with tapped and untapped. Um, Arcane Signets up there. Commander's Plate surprisingly high. Long Wheel of Misfortune. So some curious cards showing up here in TCG on the best selling list for this. And uh, Apex Devastator lands on the first page too. Um, so this could be telling about where some of the stuff is going to move. I'll tell you, Thought Vessel is interesting. That mm-hmm. is uh, that extended art Thought Vessel will have my attention. It looks like the foils on that are twenty bucks right now. Um, but there's like no supply right but that is something that keep an eye on because i bet that does pretty well down the road
0: yeah this is, the main point i'm trying to make is that there's so many super staples in this set there's no reason to be playing guessing games with a maybe card yeah oh yeah there's gonna be, oh, there's yeah. just gonna be yeah. so many opportunities in the top 30 cards in the set <laughs> if, you, if you take the most popular commander's foil etched the uh biggest foil extended art mythics like mana drains and so forth um, Jeweled lotuses in vampiric tutors, etc., and some of those common, uncommon foil extended arts that have never received those kinds of treatments, and the very tip top of the commander land base, the auto include duels. That's plenty to keep you busy on this set.
1: Oh, thought vessels in forty one thousand decks. There you go. Which is uh, high but i can't find it where is it on the artifacts it's high
0: popular card yeah all right okay big juicy episode where can people find you online travis i'm on twitter wizard bumpin b-u-m-p-i-n how about yourself you guys can find me on twitter at mdg critic as well as constant haunting of the pro trader discord uh I would like to remind our listeners to check out the mggprice.com pro trader service. You can find that on mggprice.com for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. We will almost certainly have a Black Friday sale for new members as well in the coming week or so. So feel free to hit me up on Twitter at mtgcritic if you want to talk about uh, checking the the discord out for a month and seeing if it's right for you.
1: Cool. Um, I would like to remind our listeners to check out, wait, no, that's yours. Once again, MTG Fest Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc. You can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5. It's the number five during checkout at Cool Stuff, Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast, which brings us to the end of episode 246. I hope uh, our conversation was stimulating this week, and we will see you all. Oh, wait. Uh, isn't it next Thursday? No, okay, next Tuesday should be okay. I was just going to say next Thursday is Thanksgiving, but we don't record on Thursday, we record on Tuesday. So we should be good for next week, I think.
0: All right. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see you next week on another episode of MDG Fast Finance.